from the time I was a freshman in high school, I wanted to be a pro wrestler. My whole plan was I'm going to go and I'm going to train to be a professional One year wrestler. For Christmas, my dad gave me a pack of computer paper. Like that was a Christmas gift because I kept drawing on all this paper and it was driving him nuts. There was never a like if, it was always just how. You know, it was like if I wanted to make something, if I wanted to do something, again, it was just, okay, well, what do I have and how can I make this happen? And I'll be honest. So at the time, my my dad had a lot of problems with drugs. And so he wasn't really he wasn't really with it. You know, he wasn't really too conscious of what was going on. And it was actually my first week of college that I think it was a Wednesday. My mom called me and, and he, she had come home and he had left a note and just split town and that was that was 2008 and that was the last time we had seen him or anything like that so i have a direction i want you to go in but i want you to be inspired and go make decisions and create too if you don't mind like taking the time investing in the quality and again paying off the viewer whether it's just somebody looking on instagram whether it's someone like ariel hawani who's opening up your email you want people to feel like, oh, whatever amount of time they've given you, they're getting something out of it. And I think that as long as you're creating from a passionate place, that'll always, you know, organically happen. Do your thing, man. No, no. Oh, okay. Now it's started. So it's so great to see you, Robert. How's your back? Um, well, it's definitely better than it was yesterday, but uh, it's still a little smart. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad yeah. to be sitting for this interview. I'm, I'm glad we're not doing anything anything weird, like riding horses or something. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to see that how much you're connected with those WWE days of preparing for a wrestler. And now it's just weird just hearing me say the same words again and again. Uh, <laughs> so I guess let's get started then. I'm so excited and thrilled for today's episode because we have with us one of the most creative, talented, and passionate graphic designers, comic book author and illustrator, commercial director, and owner of Keep It Real Digital. A great play of words right there. I first got introduced <laughs> to your work after watching such creative thumbnails you designed for the MMA show consistently each and every week which is hosted by the GOAT of MMA reporting, Ariel Helvani, whom we also had the privilege of having as a guest in episode 10. So once again, thank you for making this happen. How's Higgins doing? <laughs> Higgins is doing well. He, he sends his regards. Thank you for asking. And uh, yeah, man, no, thank you so much for having me today. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I, I had a great time going and, and checking out Ariel's episode. So I definitely recommend anybody who's listening to this one, make sure you go back and check out uh, would you say it was episode 10? Was that, that was the... Right, it was episode 10. And it's so gr yeah. great to have him and, and you had the privilege to work with him. You know, the best quality which I like about him because I've learned a lot from him in terms of interviewing. Yeah. Besides that, his ability to not take any comments seriously which the fighters make or else is such a great thing to admire because it gave me the kind of freedom to ask him curveball questions and he would still, you know, <laughs> dodge them in a professional manner. Just curious to know, uh, how did you get in contact with Ariel and how was the whole experience of coordinating with him? Well, it's really been awesome. I mean, Ariel's always been, you know, the consummate professional. And I mean, I became aware of Ariel when I was in college because I, like many college kids, was totally broke. I didn't have any money and I had become an MMA fan, but I couldn't, I couldn't watch anything because back then, this is before anything was on 
free TV. Everything was a pay-per-view. So the only way I could really effectively watch any MMA was just to watch Ariel's wraparound coverage. So on a big fight night, he would be at the event and he would have pre-fight interviews and pre-show interviews and then post-show interviews. Yeah. And that's how I experienced MMA for years. You know, that I didn't watch the fights live. I just watched the coverage. And I'd be waiting and waiting, waiting. Whenever I feel like checking out what's happening in MMA, UFC, all that, I just go through his Instagram feed and man, he's so consistent with it. Take it from yeah. the legendary fighters to the newbies. He has all news about each one of them and that shows how much he's dedicated to his craft. Yeah, you can tell that he, I mean, he really genuinely loves it. I mean, the passion is there. And and I think that's that was why it was kind of easy for us to connect. I had moved to New York in 2011, at the end of 2011. And about 10 months later, he'd become a personal assistant. And while I was a personal assistant to this filmmaker, we were doing a lot of work with Yahoo. Ariel at the time was at Yahoo. I was just a fan. I mean, there was really literally no reason I should have reached out to him. <laughs> but I, I went to our Yahoo connection. I was like, hey, do you um, just very generally ask? I was like, do you have the contact info for this, you know, this area Hawani guy? And I'm sure they naturally assumed our office wanted to contact him. And so they gave his email. And, uh, and I was like, oh, thank you very much. I didn't, I didn't think that would be that easy. And so I just sent him a really friendly email. I was like, hey, big fan, you know, and I told him like, a little bit of a personal story because when I moved to New York, I did it on less than two weeks notice. It was very, very fast. Um, I was in college. I only had one class left, which was an internship class. So uh, they were happy to see me leave and go get a job. <laughs> but um, yeah, I got, I got offered this gig and, and I had to move here very quickly. I'd never been to New York and I ended up sleeping on a stranger's floor for three weeks or so before I got an apartment. So that first weekend here was, was pretty freaky. I landed. The guy who I was staying with, again, who was a complete stranger, he splits to uh, Atlantic City for the weekend. A blizzard hit. <laughs> so I'm just like <laughs> waiting to start my first day, horrified. And what I did to pass the time and kind of ease my angst is I would listen to the MMA hour, especially at night when I wanted to go to sleep. I Because I you know, was really nervous about starting work on Monday and, and all these things. And uh, yeah, and that was really helpful. So I had shared that story with him and made a little you know, graphic because I didn't want it to seem like just, like, sure. again, I was reaching out for no reason. And he couldn't have been nicer. He responded and he actually invited me over to the studio. And uh, I think later that week, I had gotten the poster printed and went over and uh, met him and the crew. And and uh, and then probably like a year and a half or so later, did something similar for his 300th episode. I did a design. And they were in a new studio at the time. And so I went over there. Um, but because of those invites, I got to meet uh, New York Rick, who's who's a per was a producer on the show and now does the social media over it uh sb nation and mma fighting and yeah he's awesome we've become really good friends uh, we just went to a show together last week and yeah I love so it. anyway yeah. It's, it's, awesome. yeah. it's amazing to <laughs> hear that and how much time did it take to you know sort of build trust because you know being with ariel Helvani, best thing is i'm sure you must be having the creative freedom to do what you want in terms of graphics and one can see it you're just taking all sorts of marvel references mario references or <laughs> all this insane stuff and you're just showing your magic out there how much time did it just take to sort of build the trust was it instant i mean it was very organic i'll say that you know i think that having done some designs you know and always kind of his gifts he'd never specifically asked for them i think that he was always really appreciative of it and was maybe looking for an opportunity to kind of give me an opportunity to sound a little redundant. And um, when the pandemic hit and he and DC started the show again, 
I was just bored out of my mind. And so I made a graphic and sent it to them and they really liked it. And um, me just seeing the, you know, the comments and people responding to it, there, there was a lot of references to DC looking like the rock. And so again, just because I was bored, I thought, well, I'll make a few more and consistently make him look more and more like the rock and but play dumb we all pretended like oh we don't know what you mean but i think that process is what built the trust because they weren't really like looking for it but then when there was an opportunity and some momentum i kept going with it and i think that gave the nod to them like okay he's serious and like reliable um and then and i think the quality at least in terms of humor was was consistently there so i yeah i think it was pretty gradual but probably took you know a good month or two before they were like okay yeah yeah just do it sure yeah one of the key things uh which you know, one can take away from this is that you had such great skill that instantly you sent a sample and they liked it. And over the years, I mean, you're just continuously surprising us as an audience, I'm saying this, surprising us with what you're doing. You just made these bells for both of them. And when I scroll through your Instagram and I see that besides from 70% of it is filled with, you know, photos of exotic cuisines. Besides that, there are such uh, <laughs> great sketches, you know, of all these uh, art form. And best thing is that it's not forced. It all comes naturally to you. You're drawing your friends, you know, pictures on a grocery packet and all that, you know, and it's great to see how organic yet detail oriented it is. When we look at you just, I remember seeing this drawing of a person yawning and you're just showing each and every muscle that is visible. And I just like that. And all I can think of is that were you one of those kids during high school who would just sit in one corner of the class and sketch out this <laughs> greatness and stuff? Uh, well, thank you, by the way. I really do appreciate you uh, saying a lot of the kind words. And yeah, I mean, I de- in high school, I definitely was... I drew a lot. I, I, I fell in love with painting in high school. So, I, you know, as a kid, I drew a lot because... We didn't have a ton of money. We didn't have a ton of stuff. I mean, it could have been a lot worse, don't get me wrong. But I remember one year for Christmas, my dad gave me a pack of computer paper. Like that was a Christmas gift because I kept drawing on all this paper and it was driving him nuts. And, um, but I loved it. You know, I drew on the back in front of every, of every piece. So I think as a kid, drawing was a way to kind of pass the time a bit more. And when I got a little bit older and got into high school, those creative juices kind of came out in different ways. I started to do stand-up comedy. And so I was gone a lot. I definitely wasn't home, unfortunately, (laughs) and didn't have a ton of time to draw. But when I was home, I really did at that point get into painting. And again, I didn't know anything about it. I just went to Walmart, bought some acrylics, was still painting on like computer paper, like, like a crazy person. And uh, yeah, but just, you know, was just always kind of messing around with it and trying to find out what I, what I liked. But because I kind of like this variety of things from drawing to painting to doing a little bit of performance stuff. Um, It all kind of connected. I could see how one, you know, it was all one continuous creative process and passion. It wasn't like, Oh, you have to be good at this thing and be good at this thing. You Mm -hmm. just see them as kind of like skill sets and it's like, okay, we'll just take some time to sharpen that skill and with a little research and a couple good mentors, you can, you know, you can get there pretty quickly. So I love the journey, man. And during younger days, when you, used to draw in my case i used to just uh, you know take a crayon and mess up the whole wall <laughs> and in, <laughs> during those uh, days did art naturally come to you or were you influenced from a certain comic book by stanley or certain tv show or anything or was it just natural i mean i de- definitely had a lot of influences in terms of you know i mean i was a pretty classic like 90s kid you know so 
the Spider-Man animated series was a staple, the X-Men animated series. So those really helped me get into, you know, the characters and understood, you know, really quickly you, you, in a couple Saturday mornings, you're like, Oh, okay, I know all this <laughs> stuff now. So then when you go to, cause again, it's, it seems crazy to think that it was so long ago now, but when I was a kid, when you went to the grocery store, there were comic books at the grocery store rack that, you know, when you were waiting in line, just where now there might be, you know, just exclusively tabloids, it seems there used to be comics on a whole variety of things. And so I was always, you know, begging my mom to pick up some random comic. But of course, I had no idea any of the continuity or like where anything was at. So I just kind of accrued, you know, random comics. But um, Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee definitely were like huge influences at the time. Didn't know the name, but definitely fell in love with the style. And to this day, like associate so much of my love for those characters and you know, those books with that time period, even if those aren't necessarily the time periods that generated the best stories or um, the highest quality, you know, comics. Yeah, 90s era was, and on itself, you know, quite special and extraordinary in multiple ways. It was a wild time to be alive. And, you know, if I had a choice, I would just be alive during that era. But at the same time, you know, there were limitations. You all didn't have that much uh, sort of platforms and resources to gain knowledge. And all I wonder is like, what was your parents' role in sort of encouraging your artistic talent? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, my parents were always really encouraging in that respect. I mean, both because it was a great time killer. <laughs> it was like, okay, <laughs> if he's sitting there drawing, like he's, we know where he is. So yeah. there, I think that was a big part of it. But also there were a lot of issues and things that, that happened when I was a kid and especially at home. And so I think my parents were always just happy to see any kind of outlet. And again, especially that didn't really require any sort of like financial, you know, whatever. Like, and so drawing was always pretty, pretty cheap. And even, you know, I would build a lot of stuff. My dad, uh, when he was working, he, he ran like a little carpentry business. So we always had a lot of tools and stuff around. And, you know, I'd make little things for my toys and stuff like that. So I, I was always pretty creative and kept kept busy. And I think they were, again, just happy to see. And as an only child, I think, again, they're just happy to see that you're like doing something and not just, you know, toiling away. Uh, yeah. Great to hear that. And I think that the best art, which I personally believe this, that the best art is inspired from, you know, the hardest of times. Many, you know, artists, writers, they put themselves in that spot to sort of come up with the best stuff. And I'm curious to know that uh, what were those childhood instances Maybe it would be, you know, not having the right mindset or not having, you know, the best of resources available at hand when you're starting off in childhood. Like, what were those moments that sort of inspired you to put so much effort that now you can give yourself, you know, all the resources that you want, you have a proper mental peace to come up with, come out with the best work and also be financially stable? The big takeaway as a kid was just, again, there was never a like, if it was always just how, you know, it was like, if I wanted to make something, if I wanted to do something again, it was just, okay, well, what do I have and how can I make this happen? And, it, and I never operated under the, under the thought process of like, okay, well, I want to do this. So I need to get this, this, and this, and then I'll do it. And which, you know, isn't always a bad way to play things. Like sometimes you need to do your research and collect your resources. And that's something you learn over time. But I think that was what I sort of conditioned myself to do as, as a kid. And as a result of, you know, the, 
just the lifestyle that that we kind of came to live by. And I never really realized that until I was in college. And I remember I did a project for a story storyboarding class, and it was the final pro- project. We had to do an animatic, and I, you know, apparently went a bit above and beyond what other people were doing. But I, again, I just was looking at real animatics and was like, "Well, this is what you should do." But I had done, you know, some, some, some voices and some different things. And one of the one of the people in the class had mentioned afterwards, they're like, "We really appreciate how." you always find a way to like kind of make it happen. Like whatever you see in your mind, you're going to make that happen. And that all that then became a point of pride, you know, where I was like, Oh wow. Like other people are noticing that. And, and so from that point forward, it was just always an exercise and like either have a big dream and buy your time until you can make that happen. Or, you know, in the meantime, try to sharpen skills and do it in ways that you can either present them or you can connect with other people. And I think I see a lot on social media, people who have way more followers than me are dedicating a lot of time to just pumping stuff out all the time. They got to put out a couple posts a day. They got to interact. And it really helps their social media numbers grow. But when you look at who's following them or who they're connecting with or how much stuff they're selling, there's not really much behind that. And, and if you don't mind like taking the time, investing in the quality and again, paying off the viewer, whether it's, just somebody looking on Instagram, whether it's someone like Ariel Hawani who's opening up your email, you want people to feel like, oh, whatever amount of time they've given you, they're getting something out of it. And I think that as long as you're creating from a passionate place, that'll always, you know, organically happen. Yeah. And that's a fantastic feeling to have, you know, when people just uh, come up to you and say, you know, you just find a way to make it happen. This particularly struck me because we live in this world when we are, you know, judged by the number of followers, people's self-esteem is judged by how their Instagram looks. And Mm -hmm. you made such an amazing point that how important it is to deliver quality and how when you see people who have more followers, who have more numbers, sort of to say, in the same field, and they're not producing that quality of content, you can, you know, sometimes it makes you feel bad that I need to do something to get my numbers ramped up. But at the same time, you choose to stick with the quality. And that's what I like. We see the previous century, we had people like Stanley, you know, the creator of X-Men, I just forgot his name. These people, they created stuff. It's really rare to see. Tell me one name that you can say in the same breath as Walt Disney, Stanley. It's hard to find such creators anymore. And it's just a personal opinion. I don't know that how come it is that we went from a, from an era of such creators when the resources were not that developed to now. We have everything on our hands. Anyone from any part of the world can access them. But still, you know, that creativity is not there of creating something. It comes down to what you're passionate about and you can pick any field. I mean, like a really great example. I mean, I don't know if a lot of your listeners are fight fans, but I know where we both know Ariel. So it's a good connection. And he just spent the weekend, you know, promoting this Jake Paul fight and Jake Paul has become such a big kind of figure in fighting of this polarizing figure. And he's such a great example of I don't take any offense to him and what he does. I also don't pay that close attention to it either. So maybe that's why. But the reality to me is if you have any question about what this guy wants to do, you can figure it out pretty quickly, which to me, it's really clear that this guy wants to be famous. So this guy wants to be famous. He's doing everything he should to be famous. And if that's what he wants, whatever. If he wants to be a boxer, then he's not doing everything he should do to be a boxer. If if, If his drive and his motivation is, I want to build personal integrity 
because I'm passionate about this skill set, then he's going to challenge himself in a way that it doesn't have anything to do with an audience size. And I think that's what it comes down to is if you're passionate about the process, if you're passionate about the skill set, you're probably never going to have the biggest audience because to have a big audience, you need casuals. You need people who are just going to look over here for a minute and go, Oh, that's a cool color. That's a cool, whatever. And then they're just going to hit, give you a follow or whatever, but then they're going to go about their day. And that I'm not saying that's necessarily easy to do, but that's one way of doing it. And I think for me, I've always said there's two types of directors. There's the director who wants to make a movie and then there's a director who wants their name on a poster. And, you know, to me, I'm a guy who likes the process. Like I like making movies. I like, you know, getting into the nitty gritty of things. Um, And I think that's the difference. Yeah. And then there are some directors who want their name in the credits, not one, two, but three, four times. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love Seth MacFarlane, but man, you see his movie is like <laughs> directed by Seth MacFarlane, written by Seth MacFarlane. I like, we know you're famous, man. We know you're good at what you do. But geez, you know. Yeah, no, everybody relax. knows where this is coming from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a hard pill to swallow, to be quite honest. You know, what you just mentioned that the most creative artists might not have the biggest audiences. And even while going through, you know, your journey, I came to know that you didn't directly go into college after high school. You took some time mm-hmm. off because you wanted to have the right mindset in order to do that. And I think it would benefit many students, especially in this era when the country is bombarded with student loans and stuff, to make better choices that, what was it that you were really aiming for in terms of mindset? And what did you do during that gap time in order to build yourself? Yeah, well, college for me, was really interesting because when I was in high school, I was I was pretty disenfranchised. It's probably the best way I could say it with any kind of educational system. Like, I and and not necessarily for the better. I mean, I just you know had like I said earlier, I had a lot of personal stuff going on at home. My parents weren't people who had any higher education, so it wasn't necessarily something that was really valued in my house. Although both my parents did want me to go to college and had always said as much. But to me, it just felt so status quo. You know, I had seen all these people in high school who, and I'm going to sound like I was a real jerk at the time, but I just saw as a bit limited. You know, I saw them as people who I, I didn't necessarily aspire to be like, and they were the type of people who were like real excited to go off to college. So from the time I was a freshman in high school, I wanted to be a pro wrestler. My whole plan was I'm going to go and I'm going to train to be a professional wrestler. And when I was a junior in high school, I had started driving to Tampa, which is like about an hour away from where I was living, about one night a week to this wrestling school and I would hang out with the guys and I'd watch them work. They did, I wasn't 18 yet, so they wouldn't let me in and I didn't have any money. So they were about to let me get in the ring, yeah. but uh, they were really kind and they'd hang out and they invited me to shows and I would go work on the ring crew. And that was around the time I started doing stand-up comedy. And again, basically literally was not going to school at all. It was kind of a problem. My, my sophomore year, <laughs> the state started calling my house being like, you're, he needs to come. Like he needs to actually show up. Well. So then I did. And uh, yeah, and then my junior year was a bit better, largely because the guy who booked stand up for me had actually got it registered with the um, school board. And we had an improv class instituted in the in the high school. And so me and my buddy who I did comedy with and maybe like half a dozen other kids who literally only took the class, this would be a great movie, um, because they were going to drop out and they needed a credit. And so mm-hmm. they took this improv class. And we would come to comedy every day at school and, and they would have us do shows, you know, for the high school. So all of a sudden we're doing shows in front of two, 300 people. 
on a Thursday afternoon. And it must that, be, that it must be a freaking back. amazing time to you know, be alive and sort of experiment with stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was really fun. And I think it was great for me because at that time, like I definitely needed that. You know, I don't know if I didn't have that in my life. I don't I don't know what necessarily would have come of it. Because I mean, there was a time where I was probably doing three shows a week, you know, and I was 17. And so we were doing Wednesday night shows. We were doing Friday, Saturday night shows. And so I, I was keeping really busy with it, trying to get in shape, working out because I thought the pro wrestling thing was going to happen. So anyhow, this is all to say that I uh, ended up breaking my leg my senior year of high school. As a catalyst of that, both my parents and my girlfriend at the time were like, you should go to college. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, okay, maybe I will now that I mm. clearly can't, you know, uh, can't go train to wrestle. And so I moved to Wisconsin because that's where, again, my, my girlfriend at the time was. And I figured, well, I'll just, I'll hang out for a year. I'll become a resident because then I can get residential tuition. And so that all was kind of the reason I had the delay. A, I didn't initially plan to go to college. B, I didn't know what I was going to do if I was going to go. And then C, I said, well, I'll, I'll give it a year. And I waited the year. Then we decided to move back to Florida. So the whole plan of getting residency didn't really work. But um, yeah, it gave me a year to think about what I wanted to do. And I originally enrolled in a culinary program, which took me to the school that I that I ended up going to college to. But when I toured the campus and saw they had a film program, I thought, well, I'm going to do that instead because <laughs> I'm more interested in film uh, or at least from a career perspective, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was the kind of what the gap was. Yeah. God knows how you included art during the time when you were on one hand performing <laughs> and then you were preparing to become a wrestler. You know, when I look at your journey, I can just say to myself that this guy lived a heck of a life and he has experiences. <laughs> You know what it's like to be at the lowest point and then build yourself up. In college, you said that you decided to pursue filmmaking. Were your parents really happy with the choice? Because normally when you're trying to, because I've seen normally that many, you know, first generation college goers, they mostly pick STEM fields. Initially, they pick right. STEM fields. And there's not that much support on the art side. Yeah, I mean, I think, by the time I decided to go to college again, my parents were probably just pretty happy that I was even <laughs> okay, you know, going, or at least, <laughs> yeah, that my mom was just like, oh, wow, you're going to college. This is great. And I'll be honest. So at the time, my, my dad had a lot of problems with drugs. And so he wasn't really, he wasn't really with it. You know, he wasn't really too conscious of what was going on. And it was actually my first week of college that I think it was a Wednesday. My mom called me and, and he, she had come home and he had left a note and just split town and that was that was 2008 and that was the last time we had seen him or anything like that so a lot of my early college experience was just you know really trying to kind of just get through it you know my mom was in a really rough place so most nights i was on the phone with her because she it really caught her off guard that that he left um when he did and so i would spend a lot of time talking to her and then obviously just being a full-time student uh, and I was in a, a manager at a, at a retail store at the time. And so I was also doing that. And, it, you know, pretty early on, it was really just about juggling and getting through it. And I think neither one of my parents, to be honest, were very, like, focused on the fact that I was in college. Like, if anything, it was just sort of like, you know, oh, okay, kind of secondary. Um, but for me, was a great foundation because what was an incredibly difficult day to get through just seemed like a normal day at the office. And I remember other kids who like couldn't get their homework done on time or couldn't get things in. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, like, what are you got going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can, you can, I finished my stuff. I'm like, I got, 
I got some real problems over here. And uh, mm-hmm. so again, it was, it was kind of a great opportunity for me to like, just be faced with challenges out of the gate. And it didn't, and I did I never really thought like, Oh, should I quit? Like, should I not go to school anymore? Or should I drop out? In fact, my third week of college, I actually totaled my truck one day driving in and again, got in the accident, filled out all the stuff and then just drove to class like and parked my total truck in the parking garage and did both of my classes and then went home at the end of the day. Cause it was like, well, literally spending all the money I have to be here. So I might as well come here and, you know, just get through it You're- and deal with this at the end of the day. But you're a go-getter man it's uh, amazing to hear that and that's what you know these previous generations are known for especially after the world war ii that people just went for it they didn't have the perfect know-how how we'll do it this and that they just went right there you talked about you know coming to new york sleeping in a stranger's apartment and you know during crazy winter which is actually right now going here i'm live from new delhi india and it's so freaking cold that if during any part, of, <laughs> yeah, I don't even feel like moving my limbs. It's so cold here. And if during any part of this interview, I freeze myself, <laughs> you're most welcome to leave the meeting. <laughs> Anyways, you know, when you go through such hardships on, you know, the personal and family side, I've seen many people become too bitter. On the other hand, I've seen mm-hmm. other people do exceptionally great. And I think you are obviously in that direction. How were you able to eradicate these feelings of anger and frustration that, you know, over your, you know, parents or anything and just be totally focused and involved in what you do? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, if I'm honest, like it's a, it's a day-to-day thing. I mean, I, I struggle with it, but I, you know, the biggest help for me is, and I think for anybody is, is therapy. You know, I think that having a therapist or having someone you can talk to, who just isn't a part of your day-to-day life. You know, somebody who you're not really beholden to in any social or, you know, professional aspects. They're just someone there um, who ideally your their opinion you respect and, you know, you, you can have that relationship. But that's been important. I mean, that's been a big game changer for me in the last couple of years because a lot of my 20s and my late 20s when I got to New York was me dealing with these, you know, insecurities as they surfaced. Or luckily, when you work in film and production, they're pretty much raging, you know, insecurities and egos yeah. all the time. So it's actually a pretty quick study in looking at someone, seeing how they can behave in such a reprehensible way, but still be succeeding at the highest level. And you know, the more you kind of analyze that paradox and you start to understand, A, how unhealthy a certain environment can be, but also how your own personal journey can help you through that because you see, oh, this person is angry because they're not feeling respected or they're angry because they're feeling like what makes them special is threatened. And so that comes out in this this way that a lot of people take personally or a lot of people get hurt by. But when you can see that because you've been through that or for worse, if you behave that way and then you've had the ability to kind of reflect on your mistakes, which I think is the number one thing that you have to do if, if you want to grow in any way, talent or personally, personality wise, but being able to focus on that stuff and, and, and not take things personally and navigate and figure out who and where in, in the business is a little healthier, you know, to work and, and surround yourself by people that are healthy and, and like-minded. I think all those things go into trying to get through it because it's, it's, it's not easy. And there is still, I think, a lot of bitter and angerness that unfortunately can come up. And I have to be present and aware of that and, and try to 
do the best I can because the because I'll be honest, anybody who who wants to do anything, whether it's write a comic book, whether it's start a company, whatever your passion is, when you go out there and you try, especially if you care, and especially if you care to do things a little bit differently, it's going to be a real uphill battle. And you're going to hear from a lot more people who don't agree with what you're doing and or are threatened by what you're doing than you're going to hear about people praising you. And when you do something different, it takes a long time for people to see that and appreciate that. And maybe you never get credit. So it goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, where I think it's just so important to be driven by your passion for the process and not necessarily for an audience, not necessarily for recognition. And in this day and age where it's so much about the follows and how many likes and just, hey guys, this is what I'm wearing today. You know, like so much of it is about just putting yourself out there. and. I think that we, yeah, we just as creators and as leaders really need to be able to to step away and focus on ourselves and try to be strong individuals, you know. Now, look, you utilize your past in such a great way that now you have a wonderful family. Even, you know, while reading about your college days, one thing that I want to know more about is how did you develop your skills in this digital medium? Was it? Just because going to college, that was it college that taught you all these skills or were there resources or short-term courses that you did to sort of develop yourself and finally, you know, working with such creative people? Yeah, I mean, I think college definitely was a big help in the sense that although I was in a film program, it was the, the larger degree and all of the degrees really focused on branding. And as a result of that, you know, you took, you had to learn Photoshop and you had to kind of learn these things, which is great for me because I quite like making my own movie posters and doing stuff like that. So I, I always leaned into it and sharpened the basic skills enough that by the time I got out of college, I could kind of navigate a, you know, a Photoshop or I could do these things. But it, I will say, I mean, it, it took a long, long time because I didn't have those immediate or didn't have the immediate knowledge or education about, you know, traditional illustration. So it really all came just through, you know, research, podcasts. Um, I, I, we're really lucky these days because I think to even be a creator, you kind of like have to do a podcast or like you have, like you kind of have to be out there. So it's like, even in the world of comic books, it's pretty easy to find like, oh, I really like this artist. Oh, cool. He has a podcast where he just talks about how he makes his stuff, you know? So it's, it's actually easier than ever to kind of learn and pick up these skills but like anything else then you have to put in that time of just sharpening them and and i would say it's probably been a good decade now solid of just it's almost exclusively like digital stuff you know working in photoshop and creating things digitally um, whereas before it was almost exclusively like you know just non-digital hand-drawing. I, I yeah, can totally, like you know, relate with it. And I also remember my start in video editing. You know, I had no skill. I just had a talent for public speaking and I wanted some digital mm -hmm. medium to share it through. Obviously, I was an eighth grader with a laptop. So I just started learning <laughs> video editing through YouTube and just juggled myself through various tutorials. And to be honest, it's a hard grind. It's not that pleasant experience when you're just sorting out stuff and then years after you realize, oh, I wish I didn't go through that route. I instead did this. This would have facilitated the whole process of developing my skills. So, you know, and that is the reason why I started this podcast is to, you know, sort of inspire young creative professionals 
by talking with such people like you who went through the hard way you know what kind of adv- advice would you like to give to someone who's in the same medium as you what are the best sources to go for knowledge well i think that if you're if you're looking at the the film production business i think the hardest thing but sometimes it's the easiest is just figuring out what you want to do because when you're on set at any given time there's like a dozen really cool jobs to have and they all pay really well and they're all you know takes a certain level of expertise so you can't really just like pick it up you kind of have to either be an apprentice or you have to be on sets and really work for years in that department to level up so i think that the the sooner you can hone in on your interest in the film production especially if it is on set like you're lucky you said like you really liked video editing so you knew that you know and i think that for example if you have a passion of video editing really try to you know stay in that lane and then once you figured out what you are interested in a try to put yourself in a place where that's happening which seems like a no brainer but you'd be surprised how many people don't you know or or it can be difficult to obviously just leave wherever you are but to be a true professional in any field you have to accept the fact that there are markets for that profession I'm very lucky to live in the media capital of the world so it's never been hard as long as I wanted to work to kind of go find it because there's just tons of jobs here but I have friends who didn't leave Tampa where I went to college and work is not the same you know they, it's it's a very different world and it's a very different career so I think try to be somewhere where whatever you're passionate about is happening try to operate with a level of purpose in the sense that you know what you want to do and then just as much as you focus on your professional skills try to focus on those personal skills really think about the person that you want to be not only in your personal life obviously but in your professional life because that is what ultimately is going to sustain you and get you those bigger jobs and help you network and connect is when people recognize your quality of character and when they want to bring you back you know you're not just a pile of skills <laughs> like you are an individual no, and th- you, that's you have totally, to be aware of that that's yeah. totally such an incredible advice because when we hear about people like steve jobs or you know other leaders as well we get this persona oh you have to be tough you have to be cold hearted you know mm-hmm. squeeze your employees to get out the best quality of work <laughs> and don't care about them and one of the things that really resonated with you know i watched this video on your website keep it real digital that you said this line any professional can manage a spreadsheet but only a creative producer knows how to take care of people and i went through all the work that you're doing with other creative artists through keep it real digital it's just incredible in terms of both look, making it look professional as well as having the storytelling aspect i'm curious to know that when did you get the courage how was this whole process and journey of starting keep it real digital and how were you able to assemble a team of competent artists who are not only good at what they do but also have a bit of understanding that even when even during those dicey moments when client is being over you know over expecting or is not treating them as professionals they can still be focused on their work and deliver quality yeah i think i mean with regards to putting together a team i've been really lucky especially in you know the last year year and a half to really be able to to kind of hone in on a couple individuals and give them more opportunities and they've really stepped up and been really helpful and luckily for me especially again because i'm here in new york you know when i work with another professional they come with a really great resume because of all the opportunities here and so i think that 
when I'm trying to build a team, I'm always trying to look for, you know, people who have skill sets that maybe I'm lacking in a little bit, because obviously I'm thinking about the brand and how the brand can be stronger. And I have to be able to acknowledge sort of my weaknesses. And, and so I think about that a lot when I'm building a team, you know, and what do I bring to the table and how do we expand on that? When it comes to being on set, and I think that it's really important, and again, especially if you're a leader out there, whether you're a, a manager in a department or you are on set or whatever, it's just trying to set a precedent really early on of, of what kind of your standards and expectations are. And I have the ability, luckily, you know, when you're producing a job, on average, you, know, you usually have about a month before you're on set, sometimes more, sometimes a lot less. Yeah. But, uh, you know, about on average, you might, you might have, let's say, a month. And so that gives you a lot of time up front to, you know, connect with the director, uh, the other producers, you know, the key creators, the director of photography. A lot of times you're working with a creative director from, the, from an agency as well as um, potentially even one with the brand specifically. So there's always a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And I think you have to be able to listen to everyone's input, make everyone feel like they're being heard, (laughs) but also have a sense of, you have to know where to draw the line. Yeah. Cause not everybody's going to have a great idea. And some people are just speaking to be heard. And so that's, that's probably a, bigger part of the challenge is managing that than necessarily even coming up with something fun to look at because that's that's usually easy and kind of fun to do but it but but that's the that's the more challenging part Um, but to answer your question specifically yeah yeah and robert uh, i actually needed to include this point that were you ever in a position where you had to sort of build a team when you were working on especially a personal project when you didn't have that big of a budget or a client paying you have to build a team of professionals and there's not that budget so maybe during the college days maybe you need to gather talented students around were there those moments if yes how did you sort of convince them to be on board when there's no you know financial money involved and it's all about just putting your best at the pro- in the project at hand it's the main purpose of building the project that is inspiring yeah well i mean i think that that problem uh you know specifically of like not necessarily having enough money is always there, you know, whether you are a college student, and literally have no money, or you have, you know, $15 million to make a movie, but you want someone who costs $25 million yeah. to make a movie. So I think the wager is always a trying to make something that is interesting, which I know sounds like really generic advice, but you know, it's all the more reason that go to people with something when it's ready. Don't go to people early or just share an idea. Or, oh, I think you might like, you're always going to have to sell people on your work, whether it, it, you're always going to have to show people how excited you are about your script, how excited you are about your project, because that's how you're going to get them excited. You're going to need to walk a tightrope of, I have a direction I want you to go in, but I want you to be inspired and go make decisions and create too. Don't be the creator who's like, I'm super excited about my idea and I need you to come now do everything I tell you to do to make my idea happen. <laughs> Giving people the ability to create, again, taking time before you necessarily even have an idea to build a group of resources and people and kind of know like, oh, this guy's a little bit more into sci-fi. And this other DP friend of mine's always wanted to shoot a Western. And then I know this editor over here who really loves musicals. So then when I find myself in this place where I'm doing my sci-fi Western musical, I'm like, oh, that guy can shoot it, that guy can. You know, and then you're going to them with something that isn't just like, hey, can you do me a favor? It's like, hey, here's this thing I think you'll like. And, 
And I always say like love is in the details. You know, you really have to, when you're talking to individuals and you're selling people on something, you have to know them. And that goes for your audience as well. When you're trying to build an audience, you have to believe to an extent that you know really what they're looking for and what they want and try to deliver on that and just and build that excitement. And then it really is never about money, you know, because when people are excited about something, they'll pay as much as you ask them to, to be involved or go see it. And, and, and vice versa when you, you know, I mean, this is a true story, not to, not to like crap on the guy here, but you know, who has the worst rates in Hollywood, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, because <laughs> everybody wants to work with him. Yeah. So why is he a great producer and his movies coming in under budget? Cause everybody wants to work with him and they just want to say they worked for Spielberg. So he's got the worst rates in town. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's as simple as that. And, um, that that's kind of the tightrope is you have to get people excited about your project or working with you and your, your personal brand. I like the fact that you know, talked about that, how important it is to be ready, you know, have so much passion for your project by going over it again and again, even I have a creative mind. So I always try to involve myself in different things. Maybe I'm writing a script and I think of, you know, maybe I talk to this comedy writer in this episode. Maybe I should reach out to him. Can he give me some feedback? Then I realized that guy every day reads dozens of scripts. That's his job. He has to design 30 episodes a year of Family Guy. You know, so maybe I need to sort of develop it first. Maybe create a small animation out of it. Because I even, you know, that's the best thing about video editing is imagination. It It's all about uh, having a strong imagination. And I remember what I used to do in my previous YouTube channel, Comedation. I used to make these 3D animated video. I learned greens, how to use a green screen. I literally had a stand, you know, I saved up like hundred bucks and bought a stand and somehow fit it inside this room and started recording (laughs) green screen videos on my phone. And those were, you know, really hard days. You don't have an idea that, you know, what you are expecting out of it, but the journey itself is so inspiring. Journey itself is so fun that you are creating something new. And that's one of the key things and takeaways that I gained from what you just said. And as you are involved in so many, you know, you're always creating some or the other thing. One can tell that by your Instagram, which I highly encourage any aspiring (laughs) creative professional to check out, you know, the link would be in the description. And it's such a great experience to go through it because one can sense your passion and love for what you do. How are you able to challenge your imagination and sort of have it, you know, take it to another level? Because when we see people like Stanley and all these Walt Disney, I mean, these people also, you know, started at a low level, but they had strong imagination that even if they were instilled in that thing, if, even if they ha- didn't have the perfect resources, they were still able to make it happen. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's a gift and a curse of like, I have too many ideas. Like I'm always just like, always, you know, new ideas, new ideas, new ideas. So I I try to, what works for me (laughs) is, you know, having a project, a big project to focus on. Like, for example, right now I have uh, my comic book that I've been working on for years, which is called Once Upon a Time in Armsbrook. And this is a great example of, you know, from the time I had the idea I spent about six months in a, in sort of a note taking phase, figuring out the timeline, all the characters. And then I spent about another six months writing the six individual scripts. Once I finished the six scripts, that's when I started showing people. So no one in my life, none of my friends, no one knew that this was going on for a full uh, year. How much time did and you spend was, uh, preparing those scripts? 
a lot, pretty much all of my free time, you know, during that time when I was on the train, I would be taking notes when I was home and, you know, then I was writing scripts because it's a murder mystery. So I needed to figure out not only what I wanted each issue to do, what I wanted the characters to do, but what the larger timeline was so I could keep everything, you know, consistent and, and make sure one clue would pay off in a, in a obvious and real way. And so ha- taking that time, it was so gratifying to work on something that nobody knew about and to keep making progress. And that was such a unique and such a great feeling that I, I always try to recreate that now. And, and when I'm going to do something, you know, I make sure I'm excited about the idea, but then I kind of realize like, is it worth my time? Is it worth me? pulling away from these other things. And so once you kind of have that little decision and one that conversation with yourself and then you get past it, you know, that that's kind of how I decide what I'm going to jump into. And then at that point for me as a storyteller, my process is always pretty simple. I always try to identify something I need to work on personally and something that from a thematic standpoint I feel like I could stand to gain having a conversation with myself about. Perfect example is this last week I started working on a story and, you know, I kind of decided I feel like this story should be about this character dealing with insecurities, you know, and dealing with all these things is, you know, of late I've noticed that I've been dealing with some insecurities. And so I felt like, well, this will be a really honest and easy way for me to have a conversation with myself gain something and get something out of it personally while also writing something that feels really honest and really true. And all of a sudden these characters feel just immediately way more personal as opposed to starting from a place of, let me make a cool scene or what would be a cool, you know, plot. And so once I have that theme, the characters come very organically and then the plot comes very organically. And then I'm sort of like in something, right? Then it's like, okay, now I have this fleshed out story and I can kind of go and move forward with it. And that's, that's really what my process is now, you know, where I'll kind of a little bit of a filtration about a, an idea of it's worth pursuing. And then once I decide that it is, I, that's kind of how I go about it. And, and I, I say all that because even if no one ever sees the story, then at least I got something out of it personally, right? Like I grew and I got to kind of have a little more perspective and, you know, be a little bit more, uh, reflective. And, and so if your art can give that to you, then I think that's the best experience you can have, you know. And you never know, you know, years later, you can just sort of bump into those uh, journals or diaries or wherever you are <laughs> writing that. And I was actually talking with uh, Lawrence Robel. He is known as uh, the most intelligent interviewer of the United States. So I did an episode <laughs> with him and episode eight with him and he talked about that how he took part in peace corps where they go to ghana and teach at journalism college and he said i didn't take a camera with me i just wanted to become a writer i said each and every detail i'll just write it and he is now i think in his 70s or 60s or 70s he just discovered that whole diary and he says i'm writing a book about it now decades later and you know that's such a great thing. And even if we see top Netflix shows, you know, I heard Martin Scorsese say this: says it, you don't have to be the greatest writer. You just ha- have to have patience as a writer in order to get your screenplay off the ground. And you know, just to wrap things up, you know, as you're always, you said how your mind is like a Pandora box, just completely, you know, sprouting the new ideas. That what are you, you know, currently and few in future looking to work on and develop because 
or even what's your end vision or where you want to you know end up because i truly find your journey quite exciting oh thank you man i i really appreciate it and again thank you for for the time today uh for me the big three you know it, it's always been the dream is you know I well, first and foremost, like I consider myself a storyteller. I really feel like that's what I what I do. You know, even when I work with Ariel every week on the MMA Hour, each one of those graphics is kind of like a fun little story we're telling. You know, not necessarily in the traditional sense where you look at the graphic and there's a beginning, yeah. middle, and end, but there's there's enough of an experience and a story going on there. So, you know, I, I think that as a as a comic book artist, you know, I do want to to have my books out there. I have a lot of stories I want to tell. You know, there's the one I'm working on now, which here I've got a, one of the early issues here. We were once part of the time in Armstrong, awesome. but uh, it's, <laughs> it's uh yeah, well, I'm I currently hired a colorist and, um, and so he's now helping me with the books. So we're getting them done a bit quicker. Um, but yeah, really, hopefully, hopefully like early 2023, will kind of hit the market with, you know, these basically six, six issues. It's a, it's a mini series and then, you know, build off of that. And, and obviously I've spent the last decade, you know, here in New York doing the film and TV thing. So aspirations to direct and to take some of these projects and get them, you know, get them both as TV or as film, you know, in that world that that's still a part of the larger plan. Uh, and then again, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I, it all kind of started for me with pro wrestling. And so not that I aspire to necessarily go have a match or anything like that, but I do feel like that um, world and that genre has evolved a lot in the last couple of years. And I'd I would really like to contribute creatively. And I have a lot of ideas and have spent the last year trying to, you know, get in front of some people and talk to some people and have gotten some good feedback. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that 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 industry uh, is, you know, got a lot of catching up to do to mainstream yeah. media. <laughs> and I've got we, a lot of ideas. We share, help, so. we share a common passion for WWE. And even, you know, one of my best memories was just watching when my cousins, they introduced me to SmackDown Raw and all these, you know, <laughs> amazing leagues. And at first I used to think it's all fake. But then, you know, I came to know, like, even though it's not entirely real, but there are people jumping off cages and that sort of thing. And, you know, you took it to another yeah. level. You just wanted to be a pro wrestler all of a sudden. Thank you for making this happen. And just like, is there any concluding remarks or anything that you would like to mention? Well, again, I, I really appreciate, you know, you having me on, man. I think uh, if anybody, you know, listening, if they want to check out any of the stuff, obviously uh, my personal Instagram is, is at Robert S. Pearson. Uh, Keep It Real Digital is the company, which you've done a great job of plugging. And that's R-E-E-L, like a demo reel, if anybody uh, does want to check it out. But um, yeah, no, I mean, if, if you follow that stuff, obviously you'll, you know, be able to see what I'm doing and, and keeping up with it, hoping to have some comic book stuff rolling out in about a year and working on some short film stuff. So definitely have, have some fun projects coming. But uh, again, no, I really appreciate that. Uh, and actually, yeah, no, it's truly a great, I'm myself grateful to, you know, have you as a guest. Because normally, you know, as podcasts, people talk about, oh, you know, we need to have the best of guests. But, to, you know, in terms of numbers, we have to, you know, have the million followers guest. And to be honest, <laughs> I've talked with people who do not even have an Instagram account. And even sure. this conversation and those conversations turned out to be much more in-depth and much more valuable. Not saying that the best ones were not. I obviously love talking <laughs> with Ariel Helvani. 
He'll strangle me. Hey, I'll, I'll take it. I'm away. I get what you're saying. I'm a better interview than Ariel. I totally agree. I'll, <laughs> I'll be sure to let him know that sure. you said that. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't do that to me. You know. <laughs> no, he's totally amazing. I mean, he's one of the people I look up to. It was after watching him I got the idea of not looking at the script and you know got the courage of right. sort of keep the ball rolling. And you know, I would slap myself if I don't ask this that this recent book which you're talking about, which would get released in two thousand early two thousand twenty three. I mean, what's it about? What's the target audience? I would say if you're if you like, you know, HBO type of shows, it's kind of, you know, in terms of vibe, it's it has a kind of a true detective sort of vibe. It's about a a uh, a filmmaker who he's a failed filmmaker in New York and he goes back to Florida <laughs> where he grew up and he's and he decides to make a documentary about these series of murders that happened when when he was uh, a boy and these uh all of these things start happening as he tries to make this film and 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 he gets into some trouble so it's uh yeah I, I think that if you're into murder mysteries if you if you're into kind of more noir style genre um, or like I said, any kind of just HBO. It's it's maybe a little like seventeen and up, you know. But uh, <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I think if if that's your cup of tea, you you definitely get a kick out of it. And you know, like I said, I wrote those six scripts, and then I've had five different editors since then, and so it's definitely gone through a big filtration process, you know, of of a lot of really quality eyeballs. So I feel like when when people finally see it, it'll uh, it'll be something they can be really happy with. Awesome. So and. Yeah. And there's a there's a crossword puzzle at the end. So even if you don't like the book, you can do a crossword puzzle. Okay. Anything Better to interest that. nerds <laughs> like me. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I'm sure people would show this book the similar love they've been showing to your other works as well. Cause, and just a quick question that did you write and animate this all by yourself? Yeah. So... I did write it all. And then this, this issue I have here is kind of all me. This was written, illustrated, colored, lettered, the whole process by me. And I decided, you know, for time purposes, that's definitely not the, <laughs> not the best way to do it. If, if I want to turn out like one book a year, that's, that's a great way to do it. But um, so I decided to bring on a colorist and he's, he's such a great, he does such a great job. He's really elevated the work. Like, I was really happy with what I did, but it's to now on a whole nother level. And he's now lettering the book as well. And so it's relieved me of a lot of stress. I just go in and basically draw it, do the inks, and then uh, I give it to him and he does the colors and the lettering. And so not only does it look way better because he's, he's way better coloring than I am. Uh, he also, uh, I can get it done twice the time now. We can do two books in the time it took to do one. So yeah, awesome. It's, it's yeah, That's one of the perks of working with people, you know, who have the skills that you might not be exceptional at. And I think it's a really important because when you are into the creating side of things, you somehow uh, ostracize the other side that, you know, I'm not good at it, but I still want the control over it. So sometimes you have mm -hmm. the kind of internal ego of not letting the other person fiddle with it, especially when it's not a funded project, when you're doing it as a, it's a labor of love. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult balancing act. I mean, even on this project alone, I probably, you know, there were a couple other artists I went to and they committed to it, you know, and they said they, and then they kind of backed out and said, oh, you know, you're always playing that game, moving and trying to find the right people. And, and it takes time. And when you are going to bring on other people to work on your work, or when you're just going to work with other people, it's, collaborating is a true art form in and of itself. And it's sometimes it's not always easy. 
to take a back seat and kind of be more of the assistant or just be the person help. But that, that person is really, really valuable. I've learned how to be that person a lot. And a lot of, and sometimes nowadays I need that person <laughs> and, it's, and that guy or girl, it can be really hard to find someone who just wants to do a good job more than necessarily wants to just, you know, create something new or experiment and that can be tough to find. So I'm very lucky to have found, uh, I was just going to say, I'll have to, I'll send you uh, issues when we have them. I'll, re- I'll make sure to uh, send, you some, send you some books to read. Awesome. You know, I'd love to go through it because I'm already a fan of your animations. And, you know, you shared a perfect point about, you know, that it's immensely important, you know, and it's sort of a mind-boggling experience to find the right people. But it's truly a delightful experience once you get them on board and finally have your own team assembled. So, it's been such a pleasure having you. I personally learned a lot from this entire conversation. And I know even though editing is sort of the stressful part of this, but I'm going to love it because I'll go over this conversation again and again and take those useful pieces of nuggets and all that advice you shared and sort of implement it in what I do as well. So thank you for making this happen. Hope you had a great time as well. No, I did, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll send you some books. And if you ever want to chat again, man, just let me know. Awesome. Okay, I can see the Christmas tree is uh, lighted up already in the bag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. <laughs> and I'm sure you would be looking to celebrate the holidays with your family as well and sort of showcase your culinary skills as well. You are a great chef, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we'll definitely be doing a little a Christmas breakfast. Um, I promise that. So I have to, I have to come through with it. I got to figure out what I'm going to make still. But yeah, <laughs> I do, I do enjoy cooking. It's a nice, get, it's a nice escape to just, uh, you know. And again, another great storytelling method. You can tell a lot of stories on a plate. Let me tell you. <laughs> for sure. And once again, thank you for joining in. And it's always a delight to talk to you. Have a great day. You too, man. Thank you so much. With this, we end the episode 13 of Preview Us with Robert Pearson. And do check out his work. He's one of the most creative artists out there. And I had a blast talking with him. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, feel free to leave us a five-star review. And once again, thank you for listening. (music) 